0: and we continue our sermon series on the book of Revelation. Um, Whenever we've talked about the book of Revelation up to this point, I've I've made sure we understood that there's several different ways that people interpret or, or experience the book of Revelation. One is as a foretelling of future events that have not happened but are to come. The second is as a prophecy of things that are already at play and unfolding in the world in which we live. The third is to understand it as a letter and a book that was written for a particular time in a particular place that has no relevance to us today. And the, third, the fourth is to see it as an allegory or a figurative explanation of, of, cosmic bat, of the cosmic battle between good and evil. And so as we read, and as we work through these different parts of Revelation, we're going to understand it as a letter written to seven churches um, who were in Asia Minor and experiencing incredible persecution, uh, were being tortured and killed and captured uh, for the sake of their faith. And John, who is um, an older active adult at this time, just to give some context, has been exiled to the island of Patmos, which is south. Uh, west of of the coast of Asia Minor, and has written this letter um, to the people there. Now, when we read through this, we're only picking out portions of Scripture because to do the whole book of Revelation would be intense, and it would take a lot of time. And so we're just going to pull out major themes as a part of what that is. Now, we're going to start in Revelation chapter 9. We're going to do that part of Scripture today. So if you want to open your Bibles, open your, your iPads, tablets, or phones, Bible apps, or whatever. We're going to read the first 11 verses of chapter 11. Now, there are trumpets. There are seven trumpets that have been sounded and are being sounded at this portion of the book. And those trumpets unleash plagues that are happening in the world. And part of it, you'll see earlier in chapter eight. There's parts that talk about the earth being burned, of of smoke that like it comes from a furnace, and all of the natural disasters and upheaval that are happening there. And I want to be honest with you, uh, as I experienced this book and read over it and have prayed over it uh, this week and the last couple of weeks. You know, images of the Amazon uh, and what's going on there, you know, really struck home to me, and, and while I'm not necessarily saying that that is what the book is talking about, it's those images that give me a context for the imagery that John is sharing with the people at that time, to see the, to see the smoke and everything rise, and where you can even see it from space is really an incredible thing to see. So we're going to read in chapter 9, he's going to talk about the fifth trumpet being sounded, and going to talk about what that looks like, and then we're going to walk through that verse by verse and talk about that. So, Revelation chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, from the common, common English version of the Bible. Then the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. He opened the shaft of the abyss, and smoke rose up from the shaft, like smoke from a huge furnace. The sun and air were darkened by the smoke from the shaft. Then locusts came forth from the smoke and onto the earth. They were given power like the power that scorpions have on the earth. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree. They could, not, they could only hurt the people who didn't have the seal of God on their foreheads. The locusts were allowed, weren't allowed to kill them, but only to make them suffer for five months. And the suffering they, had, they inflict is like that of a scorpion when it strikes a person. In those days people will see death, but they will not they won't find it. They will want to die, but death will run away from them. The locusts look like horses ready for battle. On their heads were what seemed to be gold crowns. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. In front, they had what seemed to be iron armor upon their chest, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of many chariots and horses racing into battle. They also have tails with stingers just like scorpions, and in their tails is their power to hurt people for five months. Their king is an angel from the abyss whose Hebrew name is a and whose Greek name is Apelion. Let us pray. God, even when I read this text, the imagery is stark. The feeling is powerful. The images are incredible. As we prayerfully move through this text, God, give us the wisdom to be able to feel and experience and know the truth that you have for us. Because just as these churches lived in the midst of incredibly difficult and pressured times, so do we. And may the truth that this scripture speaks be truth that we can apply to our lives, to our world today. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start at verse 1. Then the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from heaven to earth. Now, when we think about this star that's fallen from heaven to earth, it's mentioned many times in these scriptures that are leading up to this place. In Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 20, Jesus is sending out the disciples. And he says, The 72 returned joyously, saying, Lord, even the demons submit themselves to us in your name. And Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. So, whenever we're reading this part of, of John, he is here, the angel, the, the star that is falling from heaven represents Satan. Satan is falling from heaven to earth. And it goes on in, in verse 1 and he was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. Now, the Greek word here for abyss is abyssus, and that means bottomless pit. Now, that's in, later in the book when it talks about the, the lake of fire, this isn't the same thing. This is a bottomless pit. Um, That demons and fallen angels fall into, and they fall endlessly until Jesus returns, and then they, and then Jesus ceases what's happening there. So as they fall from this pit, I was trying to tell my son, um, I was trying to talk to him about it, about this idea of falling into a bottomless pit, and you're falling and falling and falling and falling until it comes to, until Jesus stops all of that. And he, and he couldn't wrap his mind around it. So the only image I could use was from the Avengers. Right? So, if, if any of you, anybody ever watched Avengers, y'all have heard of it. It's this kind of small franchise from this nothing called Marvel. Y'all know what that is. So, there's a place in the Avenger movie whenever Thor goes to talk to Doctor Strange and he brings Loki, his, his brother, along. Loki's kind of the trickster in, in all of this place and he goes to see Doctor Strange. Well, Doctor Strange is tired of Loki, right? Because Loki runs his mouth, he can't trust him. And so, he binds him and he sends him through a portal. In which Loki starts falling. Anybody remember this moment? Right? So you you watch Loki go into the portal and Thor and Doctor Strange continue talking. They talk for another 10, 15 minutes or so, and then Thor is ready to I mean, Doctor Strange is ready to help Thor find his father and do all that. Oh, it wasn't Avengers of was another movie. And so they all blend together in my mind. So he does that and he said, Oh, don't forget your brother. Anybody remember this part in the movie? He opens the portal up, Loki just hits the ground, and Loki's really mad. He says, I've been falling for twenty minutes. To have that sense of falling endlessly, there's never going to be an end to it. This bottomless pit that's there. That's the image that John is painting. In Luke chapter 10, verse 19, he says, Look, I've given you authority to crush snakes and scorpions underfoot. I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. We have this place in Scripture now where, where John has painted this picture of this falling star who is Satan, who is over this, this bottomless pit. And then he has sent over and over again this image of scorpions that are being placed there he says then locusts came forth from the smoke and onto earth and they were given power like the power that scorpions have on earth so here is jesus in luke sending the disciples out saying you will have power over all even those that are scorpions and you will be able to crush them and john is using that same imagery here to the people in these seven churches saying you're living in a world in which there's incredible persecution there's a lot of pressure going on you're afraid you could be killed your families could be tortured all of these things could happen and i know that you don't believe you have any power in this world but i'm giving you authority to live and not only live and survive but to thrive and be my people in this world right now we live in a world in which many of us actually feel very powerless We feel like we have nothing that we can do to stop the economic forces of this world, to do anything to alter the political direction of of where things are heading in this world. And we feel as if there's no place for us to live out our faith in a way that has an impact. And so the only thing that we know how to do is what everybody else around us is doing. And so we buy into the politics of fear. We buy into the politics of hatred and division. We buy into the the anxiety that fuels the gossip and the clamor and the hand-wringing that goes on. But that's not the posture that God calls us to live by. And that's not the authority that God gives us. God sent his disciples out, the 72, to have power over demons and to be able to cast them out and to do his work. John is speaking to the people in Asia Minor at this time who are under incredible persecution under the Roman Empire. And he says, you may think you're powerless, but I have given you authority over those things that are there to harm you. They may not kill you, but you will be suffering in the midst of that. But go out and be my people. And I think he says that message to us today. Stop circling the wagon. Stop living as people who have no hope. Stop living as people who have something to lose because it says in the Scripture that the disciples' names were written in the book of heaven. Our names are written in eternity. Our perspective isn't the next election cycle. Our perspective isn't just till our kids graduate to, from high school. Our perspective isn't and just till we retire. Our perspective is eternal. If there's any community or group of people in the world that has permission to live differently and act differently in the world, it's people of faith. Because our authority doesn't come from earthly powers. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes, he says, We aren't fighting against human enemies, but against rulers, authorities, and forces of cosmic darkness, and spiritual powers of evil in the heavens. You know, we're not battling a war against politicians. We're not battling a war against economic policies. Those are reflections of the greater battles that are going on spiritually in the world in which we live. We don't have an information problem in our world. We have a spiritual problem. We look at the economic struggles in our world. We look at the nations that are set against nations, and we think we have political problems. The truth of the matter is we have spiritual problems that manifest themselves in these places. And God has given us authority to live into those moments. In verses 4 through 6, John writes, He says, they were told not to hurt the grass of the earth and the plant of any tree. They could only hurt the people who didn't have the seal of God on their foreheads. The locusts weren't allowed to kill them, but only to make them suffer for five months. And the suffering they inflict is like that of a scorpion. In those days, people will seek death, but they won't find it. They will want to die, but death will run away from them. And then it goes on in verse 7, and it describes these These locusts are like uh, people on horses and they have faces and teeth and long hair and and they're armored as if it's an army. And some commentators talk about at this time in, in Roman history, the Parthians were the biggest, one of the biggest threats to the Roman Empire. And, and they believe that when John's writing this, what John is painting a picture of is that in a very short while, there's going to be this huge conflict between Rome and the Parthians. And that in the midst of that conflict, the, the Christians are going to have to survive. They're going to have to continue to be faithful. They're going to have to continue to live by their faith in the midst of this conflict. You know, whenever I think about the conflicts of our countries, right, G7, the G7 summit is going on now. You've got trade wars going on. We've got detention centers and walls being built. We have, you know, all of this stuff going on between this country and that country, and it feels like the world's on edge. And Jesus, I think, tells us in these moments, right when you feel like the earthly powers of this world are falling apart, that's when you need to understand where the real power in the world is, and that's in Jesus. You know you think that that all this is going to be the end of the world as you know it. Well, truth, it may be the end of the world as we humanly know it, but just because that's the only way we as humans can think about and know the world doesn't mean that God doesn't have a bigger plan, and God isn't working in this in some way that we can't even understand yet. We are called to be the people of faith that live into this world. Jesus, in Deuteronomy, God says, He says, Revenge is my domain. So is punishment in kind. At the exact moment... Their their step slips up because the day of their destruction is just around the corner. Their final destiny is speeding on its way. Here God is talking about how he wants the people of Israel to live in relationship. And he says, listen, if you want to deal with vengeance, don't. Vengeance is mine. If we want to talk about punishment and retribution, if we want to talk about making people pay, if we want to talk about exacting revenge on people, God says, that's not your business, that's mine. You're my people. And in the world in which we live, I have called you to be a blessing. I have called you to be peacemakers, and I have called you to be faithful. I will take care of revenge in your personal life, in your business life, and on a grander human scale. Your role is to be my hands and feet. If you want to know what our calling is to be, is to be the hands and feet of Jesus, not the wielders of revenge in the world in which we live. But it's hard. It's hard to be that today. When we feel powerless and we see other things happening, we want to take control. We want to be in power. We want to be justice. We want to be the hand of revenge and the hand of writing things in the world. But ultimately, that's God's hands. And when we're faithful, when we do what God has called us to do, and we live out His love in the world, then that begins to shift things. I was talking to somebody this past week and we were having this conversation and they're under a lot of stress and and i was sharing with them some of the stuff going on and we were talking about the world and they made this really interesting observation and i don't i don't know if i'm going to frame it just right but i'm going to do my best they basically said something to the effect of chris they asked me this question and i don't like to be asked questions i don't know the answer to but he asked it anyway he said chris what happens when the world squeezes you what comes out you know i'm an overthinker by nature I think way too much before I give an answer. And I started saying, well, you know, there's biochemicals and there's all these things. And he and just said, stop, Chris. He said, what comes out of you is what you fill yourself with. When life squeezes, what comes out of you is what you fill yourself with. And let me tell you how it related to that. This morning I got up late. For some reason, God kept me asleep through my alarm. It had to be God's reason. And I got up, did everything I could in half the time, and I got on the road and I came here. And then I got up like a mile away, and then the thought occurred, did I cut the stove off? Anybody ever had that moment? You've left your house, you've left something, you thought, did I leave something undone? Did something, on? you know, I remember one time when the boys were young, I was like, do I have both my sons? Like, yes, I do, they're here. And I had to make that split decision. And I negotiated in my head, well, maybe my stove would be all right for four and a half hours until I get back. You know, maybe my my insurance guy's in here. He's like, Chris, you better go back. (laughs) And so I said, okay, I'm going to go back. And I don't know about you, but whenever I'm when I when I do something like that, that was a hard ride back to my apartment because I was my own worst anybody. Anybody ever your own worst enemy? Like, man, why did I forget that? I always forget this. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be late. Anybody ever had that litany of things going on in your head? And, and so as I was thinking about that and as I made it there, I was thinking about what it was going to be like to get back here late. And, and then I was thinking about everything else about the struggles I was going to have with other people here because I was going to be late and how, how much of a problem that was going to be for them. And, I, and what I caught myself doing is that whole drive, what was I filling myself with? Anger, frustration, resentment. And whenever I would have encountered somebody here or on the road who would have gotten in my way, if if something would have squeezed me just a little bit, what was going to come out of me? Anger resentment, frustration because that was what I was dwelling on that's what I was focusing on that's what I knew whenever I get behind when I road rage on people I am assuming that I know that person's motives in front of me I assume they, were, they willfully pulled out in front of me to impede me from getting to where I needed to go because they had some kind of ill death wish for my life right am I the only one that thinks that I'll confess it right but what am I filling myself with anger frustration. I've assumed their motives. I no longer take it at their best shot. So you know what? If they slow down and I pull up beside them, I'm going to look at them and give them the full onslaught of what I filled myself and my head with that whole time. And have you ever, now I know I'm not the only one that does this, because some of y'all have confessed this to me. And then when they look over like, what? We're, we're disarmed because all of a sudden we realize we just made all this up in our head. We filled ourselves with that. And whenever life happens to us, that's all we have to give. So let me just share with you, I don't think that just happens when we forget something. I think that's what happens in the world in which we live. We fill ourselves with fear. We fill ourselves with anxiety. We fill ourselves with shame and frustration. We fill ourselves with resentment because we assume other people's motives. And then whenever life squeezes on us, that's all we have to pour out. And we spew all over people, and we beat ourselves up. But that's not how God wants us to live. Every day, God wants us to draw upon grace. I, um, I was talking to somebody about how much I, I love the water and the beach. The beach especially. And they, they said, you know, as we were talking about it, I, I love smart people. They said, Chris, you know, the funny thing about water is you can't get wet just by talking about it. Now think about that for a second. You can't get wet by talking about water. You've got to get in. When we come to church, we can talk a lot about God's grace and love. When we come to church, we can even do mission based on God's grace and God's love. We can talk about it, preach about it, pray about it, and sing about it. But just because we do all of those things doesn't mean we experience it. You've got to get in the water. You've got to get in and experience God's love. You've got to open your life. See, God's getting you right now, remember? If you think God's going to call you next, you better be ready. One of the biggest tankers, I don't know if you've ever seen a tanker before. Uh, this tanker uh, is a huge one, but the one of the largest ones, let me see if I can get this right, carries 191,317 metric tons of carbon. That is 382,634 pounds. I, I would laugh. But I was thinking, you know, if that were water and you filled that whole barge in that container with water, would that even make a dent in the sea? Would that even change the sea level? No. I think God's grace is available to us every day. I think God wants us to fill our life with His love and His power and His mercy and His forgiveness. And you know what? The great thing about God's love is you can fill yourself to the extent to which it is, and there will never it will never run out. You, you can't. God's love cannot be exhausted for you or for the people that you care about, or even for your enemies or for any person on the face of the earth. And we have the opportunity every day to come to God's pres to come into God's presence and to soak in all of the grace that we can stand. And whenever we soak that in, whenever we spend time experiencing God in prayer, experiencing God in worship, experiencing a relationship with God in what we do, then whenever life squeezes us, that's what comes out. Whenever life gets hard, it's not anger and resentment, frustration and perfectionism. It's not worry and all of those things. When we live and cultivate that presence of God's love, then that is what we are able to release out into the world. If you want to stand by people that are just spewing anger and all of those types of things, that's because that's what they're focusing on. If you want to find people that can't seem to forgive, it's because they can't seem to forgive themselves. If you want to find people that are, that are in places, it's because that's what they're filling in themselves with and dwelling in. When you look at the world in which we live, the TVs that we watch, all that comes out, that is what we focus on. You see, my, my, my belief is, is that often we come to God with this. God, fill my cup. We come to God not with this immense opportunity to be filled fully with the grace of God, but because of the busyness of our life, because of the complexity of our life, because of so many other things, we just offer God a very small vessel to fill with his grace. And that's not what God wants. So I want you to think this week, out of all the things that threaten your life, out of all the goals that you have to achieve, after all the things that you have to do, I want you to think about what you were dwelling on and pouring into your life. I want you to think about the ways in which God wants to fill your life with grace. I want you to think about the ways in which God wants you to open up and drink deeply from that living water. And, And I want you to pay attention this week. I want you to pay attention to the people you talk to And what do they talk about? I want you to pay attention to what you see on TV, and I want you to think about what people are filling their lives, their minds, and their hearts with. And I want you to see your opportunity as, as the hands and feet of Jesus in that moment to not sow fear, but faith, to not sow anxiety, but courage, to not sow condemnation, but mercy. And I want you to see how people will change in your presence. I want you to see how you'll change in your presence. And I really, truly believe that the world would change if God's people could live into that place. Let us pray. Gracious God, we have this incredible image of destruction and of fiery furnaces, of locusts and of scorpions of warfare playing itself out. And God, all we need to do is to look on the screens and the news feeds and even into our own hearts, God, and we feel that conflict. We feel not only the unfolding of human history, but God, sometimes we feel like it is all unraveling around us. And so we dwell. We talk about it. We think about it. And we unknowingly surrender our hearts to it. But God, this morning, I think you call us to a different place. I think you call us to to not just talking about your grace, not just talking about your love, but to truly opening our lives to experience it, to fill our hearts with the fullness of who you are. So that as life squeezes us, as pressure mounts in our marriages and in our relationships and our finances and our work, as pressure mounts in the world in which we live, in the politics and the economics and in the environmental and the ecological things that we see going on, God, that we would allow ourselves to be vessels of your grace, vessels of your love, of your mercy and of your courage for a world that is afraid, that is anxious, Honestly, for a world that is cowardly right now, allow us to be and to love as you have called us to do. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.